Disney at Work podcast, bringing magical ideas to improve your world from the happiest place on earth. Your host is J. Jeff Kober, author, speaker, and consultant to organizations around the globe that look to bring best of Disney ideas to their workplace. Welcome to the Disney at Work podcast. I am your uh, moderator, David Zanola, joined by the owner and operator of DisneyAtWork.com and Performance Journeys, Jeff Kober. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, good, good. Hello, how are you doing? I always want to say I always want to say good evening because we're recording at night, you know, and then I catch myself halfway. So, so yeah. You're probably listening to this on your drive-in to work, but uh, truth to be told, we recorded late at night. So we have a, a, an interesting episode today uh, that's that's very timely, and as you listen to, if you're listening to this back episode because you found us uh, in episode 30 or something along the lines, uh, Jeff and I, both in the past couple of weeks, both got to experience, at the same time in some instances, the opening of the new land at Walt Disney's Animal Kingdom uh, Pandora, the world of Avatar. And we had both gotten to go on an annual pass holders preview and then also got to visit uh, a couple other times after that on our own. And uh, Jeff basically just had called me up and realized that it would be a good opportunity for us to discuss what our impressions were, both as theme park fans, but also what are some lessons potentially to be learned from how you open a land like that and then how that land evolves over time. So uh, I have jotted my notes down. Jeff has jotted some notes down as well. There's not necessarily going to be an extremely strict agenda that we're going to discuss. We're just going to uh, basically ask you to, to join us and, and listen in on the conversation of our impressions on Pandora. So Jeff, why don't you start and go ahead. Yeah, let me add a few more um, comments uh, to set the context. When we did one of our first podcasts, it's podcast number two, we said, here are five big issues we think are, are happening organizationally at Disney that we need to be on the lookout for. And one of those, well, the one at the top of the list was Pandora, World of Avatar. And so this is really not intended to be a, a tourist guide to the attraction per se. Uh, we may offer a tip here and there, but this is not intended to be that. I would say, if you want to know in detail and depth about Pandora, you absolutely have to download our um, uh, e-guide to, uh, to Pandora, the world of Avatar. It is the most um, exhaustive guide that I uh, have seen anywhere. We have spent a good deal of energy we may even be doing a second version that even adds more to that. And then if you subscribe to us, you'll get both versions and uh, as well as some other things. We've got uh, some new things coming up that you're going to get when you subscribe. But we highly recommend that you seek out uh, Pandora, the World of Avatar, the complete guide, uh, e-guide that we've done. But And we've also done uh, some other things. Uh, we, we actually did a previous podcast on anticipating uh, Pandora. And, uh, and we did a Facebook Live from Pandora, the two of us together. And uh, so there's been some things we've done, but I think this is a good time now that each of us have been there five, six times, uh, at least half a dozen times uh, over the last few weeks, um, both before opening and since opening. I think it's a good opportunity to give some context to what are observations and thoughts on this. And are there some, some thoughts going uh, the take-homes for, for you, some souvenirs for you to take home as well. So going into this, um, we had talked earlier in a previous podcast about about uh, the whole history going into this, why it was set up and so forth. Um, so fast forward to the opening. And after six or whatever number of years of design and construction, here we are stepping into Pandora. And I would dare say that both of us were, I know I was, uh, very, very impressed walking into this new land. Yeah, it is, it is absolutely visually stunning. Uh, it was, we had the opportunity, as I previously mentioned, to visit it uh, for what, a two hour chunk or so on, on annual pass holder, um, on an annual pass holder preview. 
And to, to this day, and I said this many times in the, in the days after, I regret not taking every single minute of that to walk around and take even more pictures because then I uh, was, whether it's uh, silly enough or smart enough, whichever S word you want to use, uh, I, I we were there on a family vacation and we went on opening day, opening evening specifically, and the place was absolutely carnival ape crazy. It was just swamped with people. Uh, it was it, it was just, just clusters everywhere where you would walk and... It, when it's that busy, I wanted to have a little more time to be able to walk around and there wasn't a shortage of things that I could walk around and look at and want to take photos of and just really immerse myself in this environment. And my number one note, you know, I wrote a little sheet down, uh, some, some, some things on a, on a sheet. My, my number one impression is uh, it fits in the animal kingdom perfectly. Right. And that was a lot of the discussion leading up to this when the, when the IP, uh, when the intellectual property agreement went through and there was this announcement made, as everybody kept saying, Avatar, you know, really? I mean, the science fiction movie about these, about these tall, you know, blue cats. I mean, really? What, where in the world does this have to do with Disney's Animal Kingdom? And if you put all that discussion aside... Yeah, why not at the studios? Right. And if you put all that discussion aside... And you just go to this park and just say that now this is a piece of that park and you walk in, it it, it feels like not only does it fit now, but it, like it should have been there since opening day. It, it, it is, again, stunning visually, thematically in every single way. At least that that's my thought. Yeah, I, so I, yeah, I, you're so spot on, David. And I, and I have to, I, I've always understood that there is a major conservation message to Disney's Animal um, Kingdom Park. Uh, that's I've never missed that message. But I gotta tell you, nothing has cemented it harder in my mind than this new attraction. There is just not, there are so many details and every detail you go through um, just continues to reinforce uh, the lessons of nature, the lessons of conservation, the lesson of stewardship to our world, uh, the the consequences of not paying attention to those kinds of things. Well, this is just a fantastic testament and metaphor to conservation. Now, most people who are fans of Disney know that the original park was always designed to host real animals, prehistoric animals, and fantasy imaginary animals. And the fantasy imaginary animals had things such as Fantasia themes to it. The imaginary original attraction talked about um, things like focusing on, on unicorns and dragons and kind of a, a fantasy light and a fantasy dark kind of complexion to that. Medieval kind of pastoral themes were really part of that. And, and, and I think we have heard nothing less than lamentation since day one that that wasn't part of it. But, you know, I don't know that I really got the conservation message out of those original designs. Uh, I didn't get a conservation message out of Camp Minnie Mickey. You know, that was just a cute little space that was last minute thrown in in place of, of not having that... Um, that original design. This is so solid, so solid on conservation. And there just isn't, there isn't an aspect to it, whether it's food and beverage, whether it's buying one of those Banshee puppets, whether it's standing in the queue. Uh, today I got, so I'm showing this to you, David. Did you ever get one of these guides? Uh, the Pandora Guide to Flora and Fauna. <laughs> At the Valley of Want. Did you ever get one of these? I did not pick up a flora and fauna guide. No, I'm sorry. Well, I didn't know they existed, but I had gotten one of those. No, we'll try did to, I. Well, maybe uh, we'll include this in either the complete guide or on the show notes page of this. Um, also, have you done the... Um, there is a, a um, piece that um, you can actually go to um, uh, Messenger and type in uh, Explore Pandora. 
if, but it can also, I think, show up on your uh, Disney, uh, uh, on on the My Disney Experience app. I haven't seen it show up on My Disney Experience app, but I hadn't done an update, so maybe that was why. I did find it if you go to Messenger. We'll give you directions how to do this. Called Explore Pandora, where you end up talking to this fictional character, um, and she gives you clues of things to look for, and she makes connections to nature. And oh, by the way, your participation in this um, ends up um, that they end up making a donation to the Disney Conservation Fund because you took the time to um, to uh, to just uh, explore Pandora and and interact with this little uh, device. It isn't the most um, if you recall the the website for Pandora, it had kind of a, a a bot interactive to it where you kind of gone through some of the narrative. This was a step up on that. Still not the best, but but really the fact that it not only again tries to build you in not just into the the world of Avatar, but into the messages of conservation. And oh, by the way, on top of it, it makes a ten dollar contribution because you took a few minutes to, to, to load up the app, you know, the 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 app, and it's it's another testament to the fact that everything there points back to conservation. And I tell you, I've never seen an attraction so detailed and yet so relevant to our world. It's it's almost hard to call it a theme park attraction because it makes such an effort to bring back a very rele relevant conversation to um, to conservation. And uh, I think that's what really excites me. And then you get into the land and it's just dripping with details. So I didn't see I didn't see the helicopter until today. By the way, it took the Explore Pandora app to show me where the helicopter was. So you did you see the helicopter? Crash I did helicopter? not. I have not. No. Okay, so no. that's on the other side of the. I don't want to give it away. Give it away if you're playing the Explore Pandora thing, but it's on the other side of that little creek that was from Camp Mini Mickey originally. But um, oh, okay. Uh, uh, so that's one little thing. Do you remember the? There is a little thing we can. Again, we're going to explain many of these things in the complete guide, but the uh, the Sagittaria that uh, Cephala pod type creature that spits out the water the one right at the entrance uh well it's it's somewhat in a few feet into the entrance, the, in entrance. the in the in the water yeah, yeah. did oh, you sure. see the, okay okay have you seen the crabs that are next to it no there's this exotic set of crabs that are also next to it and there's a title to those although surprisingly it's not in the guide to flora and fauna for valuable water. There's so many details in this thing. There are so many things to look for, and they keep telling me that if you look up onto the mountains, you're going to see the sting bats. Sting bats can be seen nesting in caves or in crevices of Pandora's famed floating mountains. I that's my next job is to ask a cast member where I can find a sting bat. Uh, same thing, Navi translator uh, got one of those. Uh, the whole languaging thing. I, I tell you, the tension and detail paid to all this is just amazing. And if you're just there to ride a, to go on Flight of Passage and maybe do the other ride, um, I think you're going to miss uh, a great experience. This thing, I, we, we just keep going back in there and finding something new every time we get there. Well, and I, and I, you know, I think that's a good point that, that you ended with there. I, I, I think if you go to Pandora and that's your 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 litmus test of whether or not it's it's a good quote unquote land is the rides. I think you're going to be thrilled with Flight of Passage, and I think you might be slightly disappointed with River Journey. But on the same token, Diagon Alley over at uh, Universal Studios Orlando. If you base that base you the, the success of that land just on attractions on rides, there's one ride, right? It's Escape from Gringotts. 
but the detail and the we just got to spend i have a nine-year-old uh, loving harry potter fan and we just got back from there this weekend and he could have spent the entire day just walking around that place and what's this what's this what's this and so i think you have to factor all of those things in because of that i mean my best my biggest piece of advice that I'm telling people is don't just go right when your fast pass starts or right when you want to go on the ride. Find a time to go during the day and just spend an hour doing nothing but walking around and looking at things. It, it's okay, right? But we're so uh, conditioned nowadays, especially in, in the heat, and I know this from experience these past couple weeks of June, is just to go in and go, 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 get your stuff done, get out of the heat, get in air conditioning, that you don't really think that you can afford to take that time to look around, but it is absolutely imperative that you do so because of how much detail is in this place. But um, speaking of the attractions, uh, let's let's start off with the what would be considered, uh, if they still uh, had uh, lettered tickets, what would be considered an e-ticket, the highest level ticketed attraction, um, which is Disney's Flight of Passage. The, the best way that I think you could probably describe the Flight of Passage is uh, Soren on steroids might be a way to describe that. Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, Flight of Passage, Jeff? Well, let me, let me just back up and give a little bit of context to two pieces of litmus test that I give to this entire attraction. And one is, is when you are there, and it's eight o'clock or nine o'clock or 10 o'clock at night. And because of the bioluminescent aspect of the, of the park at night, you just see all these people standing around looking at the thing. Nobody's heading somewhere. Nobody's going somewhere. They're all just admiring it. I think the fact that, that people there, and, and you find the same thing, by the way, during the daytime, the fact that you just see a lot of people just taking it all in is a testament to the place. The other thing, and then, and this brings us into the topic you're, you're talking about. How many attractions are open at 1030 at night in the Orlando area and they've got 240 minute waits? You're just not seeing this anywhere else. Um, and, and the fact that with the resort extra hours they're open until one o'clock in the morning providing this and people are standing in those kinds of lines at midnight is an incredible testament mm -hmm. to the word of mouth to the popularity to the excitement to the interest that people have about this attraction like i said i i think actually what makes it any attraction is is that it's almost two attractions in one. It's a fantastic ride experience where you feel like you are truly flying. And seeing, according to my guide to Flora and Fauna at the Valley of Murata, Nalutsas. Nalutsas are apparently those whale-like creatures, orcas, that were leaping out of the water. Uh, remember that in the, uh, in the attraction? Yes, yes. Don't want to give away anything here, but... You're going to see stuff in this attraction that you go, ah, I don't remember seeing that in the movie. And that's because it's not in the movie, you know? In fact, I think what's going to be fun in the years to come, assuming James Cameron actually does make more movies on this, and I, I know he will, but uh, it's going to be interesting because people are going to go to the movie and say, oh, I remember seeing that on Flight of Passage, you know? And, and so it's almost like the attraction is somewhat giving a tip off to the larger world of Pandora avatar and, uh, and kind of giving you a sense of what else there is out there to explore. And, uh, and I, I love that aspect. So that's one aspect that ride, that ride system, the effects of the ride system, the quality of the imagery, the quality of the experience, the music, everything combined together is a top notch ride experience. And, oh, by the way, there is this amazing queue that you go through. And um, uh, somebody said that a cast member has called it Hank in the Tank. Have you heard this no. <laughs> expression that the, that the, uh, that the uh, Navi creature in the tank is called Hank in the Tank? Um, but that, that alone is, is an amazing thing to see. But there are so many pieces of this. Also bearing witness, bearing testimony, uh, 
giving testament to the importance of conservation because you get into the lab and these experiments going on model real experiments going on in the real world. And so there's, there's depth of this that, uh, uh, like I had said in our Facebook Live podcast, you kind of wonder if this shouldn't have been at Epcot at times because there's so many very cool things going on. And then you get into other aspects, the caves, the bioluminescent forests. I mean, this, this cube goes on and on and on. But it's a very cool cue. And have you now, have you experienced where you get into the pre-show and you get different pre-shows? Yes. So talk a little bit about that as well. So uh, the the pre-show actually reminded me a lot of the old Test Track pre-show uh, with, with the gentleman from uh, uh, <laughs> Best in Show and A Mighty Wind. Um, and, and so, uh, I'm not before we'd have known him for those things, but where they were talking about, you know, what your job was going to be, uh, maybe test track, maybe a little bit of dinosaur, but basically there's this lab technician that is explaining to you the entire process of how you're going to be linked with an avatar so that you can ride a banshee. But then you sit in these rooms and the actual rooms that you are in, uh, for any of our listeners who may have had the privilege of, uh, riding the, uh, Tron light cycle ride in Shanghai, Disney, uh, is 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 going to feel very similar in terms of some of the visual tricks they do. And again, I don't want to spoil too much, but it's a bunch of different holding rooms. But yeah, actually, the the two times I rode it uh, on Fast Pass, uh, once it had been officially opened, we got a different pre-show each time, and it's you know it's it's fascinating. I wish that I had waited in standby, kind of at least when the line was shorter, to be able to walk through that line again because you and I both walked it during that pass holder preview, and it is forever. A cast member told me. It is built to hold five hours worth of line. And that is, a, I mean, think think about how many people that takes and how massive that is. But we actually ran into somebody or were sitting next to somebody on a, on a bus back to our resort. And they had seen my son's t-shirt that said Pandora and had said, have you know, oh, you got to go. Did you like it? And this gentleman said, you know, that they waited uh, one hour to get into Pandora because it was restricted access because of how busy it was. And three hours in line for the ride. And and we went, whoa, that's a long time. And he said it was worth every second. Mm-hmm. I don't know about many attractions at Disney. And he talked about all the different rooms and all the things that happened before and how cool it was. And the entire experience from the second you step in line is is one of those things that, that all adds. I mean, a four-hour wait, four hours of your day, you know, nearly half of your day taken for one attraction and it's done so well uh that it just sets you up for this experience where you are going to link up with this avatar already riding on the back of a banshee so that you can experience what it's like uh you know and they sync up your brain waves and your molecules and all this other kind of stuff uh it's it's just it's 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 really well done yeah it really is everything has been thought through very well as as the entire park has and I made the comment earlier, and I, I hold true to it. People use Tokyo Disney Sea as the as the standard for which great theme parks should be measured against. Everything about Pandora, everything about this attraction, I think stands up to anything that you would see at Tokyo Disney Sea. I agree, and, and I love Tokyo Disney Sea. It's just this is that same caliber, that same quality, and uh, I think it 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 does it very well. So. Uh, yeah, love that. Clearly an e-ticket experience. And, um, uh, yeah, uh, they just, these, you can't help but love, love that experience. If you're, if you're concerned about whether you should do it or not, test out the vehicle out in front before you get on. But honestly, even if you're not certain, take a chance in life and go on this. It's just one of those things that, that is so worth it. Yeah, it it's only about a five minute attraction, so just about the just about the same length as Soren. Uh, it is, but it, as as you're walking off of it, I mean, you just hear people talking about how amazing it was, and just some of the simple little visual uh, as uh, tricks they do in terms of you know the, what what you see and how it makes you feel like you're flying, and then uh, the different things you smell as you're flying around in the same way of Soren. I mean, it really puts you into that environment and it is an absolute i mean my kids um already say that's their favorite attraction in or in orlando at any theme park um that they've ever been to you know of all six the ones they've been to in orlando they say that that's their their favorite attraction so if if you are listening to this and you want any kind of trip planning advice 
The trip planning advice would be, if you have an opportunity to get a fast pass for Flight of Passage, grab it as fast as you humanly can. Uh, they are going to go extremely fast once that availability opens for your trip. And uh, you will thank yourself if you do get to avoid. It's, it's, it's still maybe worth a two or three hour wait. But if you can bypass that two or three hour wait and get fast passes, it is absolutely positively worth it. Yeah. And if you can't do that, then and, and you're not staying at a Disney resort, then choose a day, which is any day but mm, Saturday and Monday right now. Uh, choose a day where you um, where resort get, guests aren't getting in early and then you yourself get over there early way ahead of the park opening and be be as early and quick in line as possible so that brings us to the navi river journey attraction uh your thoughts on that david so my thoughts on that were not quite uh how do i put this uh they not not quite as overwhelmingly positive and, and i want to hedge that a little bit by saying i don't think there's anything wrong with the attraction it is it is stunning on the inside uh, but I think there are some missed opportunities there, partially because I am one of these nerds, and I know there are some that argue with me and say that all attractions don't need a story. I enjoy there being a story. I don't say that one uh, uh, lives or dies on having a story, but I don't know that that story is very clear to me. Uh, there's some music that continues to go. I mean, as, as best as, as I can tell, uh, and, and, and again, this is just from having ridden it, you know, the idea is you're going to see this shaman of songs, uh, which at the very end is kind of the money shot of the entire experience because uh, rumors have it that this animatronic, this this full-bodied animatronic of a, a, of a Navi character costs between 10 and $15 million, and it looks... I, I mean, it just kind of takes your breath away. I mean, like everybody in our boat as we were going by it, because it's literally at the last corner before you turn into the um, unloading zone... Our entire boat just kind of kept turning and looking over our shoulders to see how fluid this thing moved. I mean, it does not look in any way, shape, or form. I mean, there are some some audio animatronics that you can say, okay, that looks realistic, but you can tell it's not. I mean, this absolutely, positively looks like it's a human dressed up in, in, a, in a costume. Um, and it, that makes whatever shortfalls there may be for maybe not starting the music of the attraction early enough and not setting a better story as it goes forward all are completely wiped away by the time you get to see that you know what is a state-of-the-art cutting-edge audio animatronic of this shaman of songs at the very end and it is it is drop dead gorgeous tell me uh, if you were to go back to the ticket system of old and you were to give a ticket rating to this what would you give it david uh, probably a C. So, name a C attraction. So this is this is my thesis on this. Name a C attraction from the Magic Kingdom or Disneyland that you would say is the best C attraction. You know of. And maybe you don't remember this. Which tickets were which? Yeah. See, I I, I would I would have been. I mean, I I'm not going to date myself, but I don't I don't. I don't remember very clearly having been there. So I, I will bless you. I will bless you with that knowledge. Oh, so kind. So kind. And that knowledge includes, that knowledge includes uh, most of the dark rides in Fantasyland. Um, so Snow White's Adventures, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, um, uh, Peter Pan's Flight. Uh, Peter Pan's flight would be a, probably about as good as you could get on a C ticket in the old ticket book days. So that would probably that would probably be once you told me Fantasyland Dark Rides, that's probably the equivalent of what I would say if you were going to compare apples to apples. Peter Pan would probably be about what I would think it's comparable to. Yeah, and I, and where I'm going with this is I don't think anybody would be right. Nobody berates Peter Pan, you yeah. know. I just think everybody has come to evolve to expect everything to be an e-ticket, and when it's less than an e-ticket, then it's eh, it's less than an e-ticket. But nobody rates it, and I I think we need to do another program where we give everything a a ticket <laughs> rating. There you go. There but you go. I think I think if this is a C, I 
I don't think it's C ticket. I think it's closer to a D ticket. Um, and D tickets included people movers back then in that day and the railroad and mm-hmm. uh, the steamboat and uh, mission to Mars. <laughs> and and uh, and already you're saying, well, I think I take this over most of those. Um, and I would too. Uh, I think this is a high, a C or D, this is the best of the best in that range. But it is a shorter attraction. It is more intimate. um, And I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm just, love the fact that when I'm in it, I see something different and something new I hadn't seen from before. And that there really are a lot of layers of special effects that work really well. You know, we get into the story. I just... I am not that person who believes that everything should... I think there's a difference between story and plot. Hmm. And when Imagineers talk about story, I don't think they're necessarily talking about plot line. If you go to Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is not... It does not have a plot line. And there's a great famous story about the admission of... Um, I think it's Exitencio who wrote the script. I could be wrong on this, but... But going to Walt and saying, this this just isn't, you're not making out what's happening here. And Walt said, well, it should be a little bit like uh, going to a, a cocktail party where you're hearing something different every time you kind of go through the room. And that's how Pirates of the Caribbean, I mean, if you read the description back in the old days, it was uh, board a boat on a voyage, uh, you know, to, to plunder with pirates, something of that nature. You know, it, it, there wasn't a plot line. There still isn't a plot line to that thing. It's just a little bit more of a storyline with, I suppose, with Jack Sparrow in it now. But really, it's not a storyline. But, but Pirates, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is my all-time favorite attraction. I experienced it as a six, seven-year-old. I was immersed in a totally different world. And... And lost in that world. It just boggled my mind that all of this, when you walked in, when you finally went through and and suddenly the pirate ships, you know, there you were and they were battling with the fort and it just, and this and the entire town was on fire. It just, where did, where did this come from? It's such a huge world. And you didn't see it from the outside. And that to me is my best analogy to all of Pandora. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is, Pandora is, is analogous to Pirates of the Caribbean. It's filled with detail. You keep, it keeps unfolding. You see something different you haven't seen before. And in the context of, of New Orleans Square, which is ripe with more detail than even Main Street had originally been designed with. You know, the, the, the wrought iron. New Orleans is to architecture what Pandora is to nature, yeah. uh, is my analogy there. And if you love architecture, you you could be stuck in New Orleans Square for hours looking at the details. The same thing, if you, lo- if you can learn to have that love of nature, and I think this is what uh, Pandora invites you to do, is to try to learn to love nature. I'm not a person who loves to go out and look for birds, but there are people who are naturalists and love to do that. This is this is a fantasy exercise of learning to love nature. And I think it carries it out in a, in a magnificent level of detail that you just can't help but keep looking at it and keep admiring it and seeing it from different points of view. And that's what I love about, that's what I love about Pirates. That's what I love about New Orleans Square. It's that, it's that depth and level of detail, only it's in a very natural um, state. Well, and, and I suppose if I were to offer a little bit of a counterpoint to that, I completely agree with your contention about why Pirates is successful because of that. I think the difference here, and I think this probably makes more of a difference as with I do when you have younger children in, in, in your audience or, or in your party. My children, they're almost six, nine, and eleven and a half. They have a pop culture understanding of what a pirate is. We don't go through Pirates of the Caribbean. 
with any of my children saying, what's that? Who's that? What's happening? None whatsoever. Because they just kind of know, I have no idea how it happens, nature, nurture, you know, whatever. They just kind of know, <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, and my kids have never seen a Pirates of the Caribbean movie at all. They have, they have never seen it. Um, and so, but they still have no problem whatsoever grasping what's happening and enjoying pirates on their river journey. We spent a large amount of that trip. Now my children talk nonstop. You've met them. Um, but it's always, who's that? What's that? What's this? What's he going? Where, what's he doing? Just constant, constant. Cause they don't have a frame of reference and they've never seen the avatar movies either. But I think with something like pirates, people have a fairly basic understanding of what a pirate is and what a pirate does. And the Navi River journey, I guess there was just would have been a little more, and maybe we were spoiled with Flight of Passage because they do such a good job of setting the table before that attraction that my kids didn't ask a single time what anything was in Flight of Passage. I'm sure they had questions, but they weren't bombarding us the way they were in the in their river journey because there wasn't that kind of setup. And so maybe it was because we rode Flight of Passage first that ended up doing it like that, but I just wish there was a little more. It doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. It doesn't mean I hate it. It doesn't mean I think it's a poor attraction. I just think that for certain audiences, I wish there was a little more of a um, baseline given so that you can kind of understand what is going on before you actually go through and get to the end. But, um, you know, maybe that's something. Maybe it's one of those attractions that'll, that'll the appreciation will, will grow the more you ride it. Here is here is my answer to that because if there's a, one thing that I'm not big on with the Navi River Journey attraction, it's it's the better part of the queue. The portion that sits under a thatch hut is essentially a switchback of its own, and I think it could be something better, something more informative. Maybe that's the hour of your time in Avatar where you start looking back at your. Uh, iPhone and checking your messages from back home, but who wants to do that in a Disney park? That's this. This is the you don't want to break that. That with all the attention, you don't want to break that. Here's what I would do if I were Disney. Going back to my uh, guide to Florida fauna in the Valley, I would have set up something similar to the the discussion because half the things in here actually you don't see outside. You see on the on the river journey. Mm. And I think if they could tell you, if you, they could teach you what's the name of that frog like creature that's jumping there, or the, or the worm like creature, you know, that's going through the log or, you know, if they, if they, they could give you some little context or story setup as you're going through the queue, something to kind of inform you, something to educate you, something to set you up a little better for what goes on next door. And it maybe even then keep you a little more occupied Right. In the uh, in the queue, I think that would that would be very helpful because my only disappointment is that the queue is just simply a switchback. Well, and and, and I wish to, to be completely frank with you, I wish that I had known about that guide when we were there, because my specifically my two boys, 11 and nine, they're extremely they love to read and they love to learn about things just as much as they can they would have eaten every single word in that guide alive the entire time we we would have heard about it every single moment in line cuz they would have told us everything but i do think i do think they yeah. would have appreciated some of it more because then my middle son could have answered my uh, five and a half year old daughter's questions when she was asking what something was he could have told her um, so it's definitely uh, it, that's that's a really good addition that that's that's something that'll be good to know cuz again i i didn't even get to see one of those when we traveled something as simple as what's a shaman you know, it's not intuitive necessarily. So I love I love the the fact that you did talk about the fact that it isn't necessarily intuitive. But um, so notwithstanding, two great attractions, two fun rides, two great things to see. Definitely see them both. Um, plan to see them both. And that's not the end of it. It isn't just the valley. It isn't just these two attractions. Uh, we have a, a gift shop. And if there is a lesson to be learned at the gift shop, uh, they were modest on their square space and they were modest on their projections of how popular their merchandise yes. would be. Because at the time of this airing, they have ran out of those little banshee puppets. And uh, it's so sad because now that little crevice 
like area where they had all those beautiful banshee puppets on display. They've now taken some of the plush banshees and just kind of thrown them up on the on the ledge there, and nobody's paying attention to them. And I tell you, I I I noticed in my first several trips, uh, one of the very cool things about the gift shop is they not only have all this amazing, and it is amazing how much merchandise they have, exclusive to this theme of Pandora, none of it having, you know, Mickey ears on it, and yet so much different merchandise. Um, it was, and only one store really selling it. There, I, I, I caveat on that because actually the gift shop closest uh, across from Pizza Safari also has a few items in it. But you can't get the Banshee puppet anywhere but but inside um, inside um, inside the store. Um, and uh, um, so two thoughts, a couple of thoughts on that. And one of them being um, they they simply did not make wind traders big enough. You got all these people coming in. I noticed on the back wall this what looked like um, uh, a roll-down door, and I initially I asked the cast member, "Oh, is this the entrance to a second half of the store that's going to eventually be open?" They said, "No, no." <laughs> and I was thinking, actually, that that door is now where the statue of um, of the lead actress, the lead um, uh, Navi. Um, from the movie is they put that in front of that that space but I gotta tell you they need to they need to build out more space there's a lot of traffic through there a lot of queues um, I could have as they finally got to a point where the banshees were was such a long line to adopt a banshee they were just putting out boxes and and having if you just wanted to pick one up for your friend and didn't want to go through the adoption process you could pick it up but then there were 30 minute lines to go through the cash register. I will say today that did not exist. There were no lines because the top merchandise has been sold out. That's a miss, but so is the fact that the that they just did not anticipate enough space for this attraction. Well, and operationally, what's really fascinating to, to think about is, first of all, I think there are a couple of things that are contributing to making that space feel smaller. First of all, Flight of Passage, the the huge ride in that land and in that park, to be honest. Um, I, I don't know what the throughput is. I haven't announced yet, but I, what the throughput would be for that attraction in an hour. But, I mean, it's got to be massive. It dumps out right into that shop, right? It kind of feels like um, not as small, but the same feeling as when you get out of Star Tours and that Tatooine Traders you just like if you're claustrophobic you don't want to go anywhere near that shop because there's no I mean you're walking around you have nowhere to move and I think wind traders contributes to that the whole week we were there they tried to avoid that um, that 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 feeling of clutter they weren't actually letting flight of passage empty into the gift shop you just emptied out of a side path and you had to get into a separate line the other thing that I think is contributing to that is because there are two high-priced merchandise options in there that you have to kind of hang around to ask questions about and to do. There's the Banshee experience, which ideally what they want you to do is go and have this bonding ceremony with the Banshee and they teach you how to use it. But then there's also a create your own avatar experience where for 75 bucks, you can basically get a digital scan of yourself and turn it into an avatar uh, figurine um, that they will, you know, print and produce within, I think they said a couple of hours, 60 to 90 minutes is about how long it takes. Very akin to if you remember, if any of our listeners would have gone to the old Star Wars weekends and you could have gotten yourself uh, like Han Solo and Carbonite and they scanned your face and you could have gotten it put very similar to that. But those two experiences take up quite a bit of real estate in what's already a very small shop. And so everybody's standing around and asking questions and learning what's going on. And then you have this separate queue for the Banshees. 
that I think that makes it feel a little more cluttered as well. And I heard a lot of people walking around saying, what's this? What is this? I mean, there was one tall looking rubber bat like creature and I went, what in the world is this? I, I have no idea, but everybody is just, I mean, there were people piled with stuff and kids and the Navi tail and the headdress and the t-shirt that looked like the Navi. I mean, people are just eating up this merchandise. Um, and like you said, I, it, it, it's a miss that they ran out of Banshees. I mean, they, they officially, they ran out either June 1st or June 2nd. And so just about a week after opening. Now that's not entirely fair to say they ran out after a week because they were selling the Banshees during all of the, the preview days in those weeks ahead of time. And we have no idea how many they sold then. Um, but I mean, that's, that's a pretty quick run out. And so I'm, I'm assuming that they're hoping they get those back in stock very, very quickly. Could, so these are good problems for Disney to have. Um, yes. they're going to take on problems and kudos to them for developing a piece of merchandise that flies off the shelf as well as a wand does in, in Harry Potter. So, um, good for them to be able to put that together. Um, and by the way, Going back to this whole theme, um, this is this is a sidetrack, but you know people do compare it to Harry Potter. Those who designed Harry Potter had the advantage of how many movies, David? Six, seven movies? Eight. Eight to build this thing off of, and a multiple yeah. Oh, yeah. set of very unique architectural locations and so forth. Here, I gotta tell you, it just it it blows me away that Rhodey was able to take one movie. And one essential location and build the thing to the level to, to beyond the film, beyond the film. Yeah. That is a testament to that team of Imagineers and the time that they put in in place, uh, which is quickly going to we're going to have to I'm going to be out in California in July and we're going to, I'm going to have to do a comparison to the other attraction road he's been working on, which is the um, Guardian of the Galaxy makeover of what was the Tower of Terror, which has been a huge hit as well. Um, and yet was done in a fraction of the time. So there's a great conversation for another day. But let me come back to the gift shop and say this. There's been a big criticism and well-founded criticism over the last 15 years that the merchandise at Disney has not been very special. It's homogenous. You see the same thing from store to store to store which isn't entirely fair because no other theme park in the world has to deal with the variety of merchandise that you see when you go around World Showcase. It is it is pretty crazy. But I earlier I made the comparison to New Orleans Square. When New Orleans Square opened, they had very individualized merchandise going forward. Three examples of that. They had a one-of-a-kind store with antiques. I mean, if you wanted something unique, there was only one of them. And it was just filled with eccentric merchandise of one-offs. They had something similar in Liberty Square for years, and they eventually got rid of it, which was one of the conversations people have had about how homogenous the merchandise had gotten. But they had that originally. Um, and I think they still have this, uh, it could be uh, the perfume perfume shop, allowed you to create your own perfume and to give it a name and to even have that formula on file that if you wanted to come back and order more, you could order more. So a very unique experience that existed for a long time. And third, when Haunted Mansion opened, my brother got the coolest piece of merchandise. It was about a foot high and about five inches wide. It was a tombstone with his name on it. Um, customized to his name. So the same way you see like a little driver's license or keychains with people's names on it. They had tombstones with your own name on it that they customized. And it was, it was a, and it looked like a haunted mansion tombstone. And it was the coolest thing. And, and I, to, to that effect, Disney has done some things with haunted mansion merchandise recently. That's that again is very similar to what they've done here in Pandora. But you know, those, that is a successful line. That is a successful approach to doing merchandise. Disney has done it here with Pandora. I can, I invite them to keep doing more of that. It's just, it, it, people are buying into that. People are loving that. And again, 
I was going back to my earlier thought. It's amazing how many people walked out of Disney's Animal Kingdom that had a Pandora bag and not a Disney bag. With all the gift shops that there are in Disney's Animal Kingdom, for every one gift shop, standard gift shop bag, there were easily three Pandora bags. And, uh, and so congratulations to them. They still got issues to work out with, but uh, what a great what what a great effort they've made on that retail space. That brings us to uh, Satui Canteen and um, and as well as next door, the uh, Pangu Pangu, which means party party, um, which again, 11 o'clock at night the other day when I was there, here's a line, two lines, 30 feet back at that Pangu Pangu um, shop buying uh, the various drinks that they had, which um, were both alcoholic, non-alcoholic drinks. And then the, um, uh, what is the name of that? The Pangu Lump Lumpia. Did you ever do that? No. So I did. And uh, <laughs> I, I, somebody likened it to um, a dull Whip in, in a spring roll. <laughs> Heated mm. up. It's pineapple. It's cream cheese. It's a spring roll. It's rolled in sugar. I can't go too wrong on this puppy. You know, it's it's warm and lovely and all over your fingers. And it's people are buying them. People are buying them. And uh, and it's to, I think the canteen is definitely one of the best restaurants, counter service experiences in Walt Disney World. Agree, disagree. What are your thoughts? No, I completely agree. I, when when we had gotten to go to that preview day, we had gotten to ride both attractions, and we also had, had time to eat at the canteen. And I don't know if you remember, but when we left, I said, I can't wait to come back here, and there were two things I wanted to do. I wanted to ride Flight of Passage again, and I wanted to go dine at the canteen because the food was so unique and so stinking good. And to be honest, large portions. I mean, I don't eat a lot when we're at the theme parks because I'm so hot and I'm drinking so much water that I don't really have a massive appetite. And I think that the portions, at least on the make your own bowl of, I think I had one with uh, chicken and uh, charred onion and chimichurri sauce and then uh, whole, grain and, whole grains and rice. It was absolutely large enough for two people, but I, I don't mind saying I ate it all because it was phenomenal. It was so good and it did just, again, there's a lot of people that that, that, that knock Disney quick service uh, dining options and they callously say things like, I don't wanna do quick service because I'm sick of chicken strips and burgers. I'm, I'm telling you, you, you can eat at, at this restaurant for numerous meals and never touch a burger or a chicken strip um, if, if you don't want to. In fact, I don't even think they have burgers. I didn't even look for them. Um, I guess they have those little uh, steamed bun pods that have the cheeseburger stuff inside of them if you really need to get your, your taste of a burger. But at, those I mean, are so good. Those oh, are fantastic. so good. They had, the, they had a hot dog wrapped up in, in a roll type, almost like a crescent type yes, roll. Yes, yes. I tried that with Preston, who loves his hamburger over at Restaurantosaurus. So um, I tried that this evening. He didn't care for the hot dog, but he ate that roll. Yeah, and, and I couldn't I tell know. what the what what kind of uh, you know what kind of a glaze was on that roll. Mm, I don't butter if if anything. Okay, I, I thought I tasted something, yeah. but I couldn't tell. No, I, I I couldn't sense anything from what I saw. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a clever um, menu and um, and let me just say um, one of the one of the top contenders for counter service restaurants at Walt Disney World for the last several years uh, since Soren came to Epcot was seasons next door and I gotta tell you seasons uh, this is a good time this is a good opportunity to reinvent seasons and start by giving people silverware and a plate because that's what i i love about that which is so common you could go eat at radiator springs and have a disney california adventure and have a plate and silverware it makes such a little such a big difference doing that little thing uh to creating that uh great experience and um i think i think that's a lesson that a lot of the counter service experiences could could take 
uh, reinventing themselves a little bit more. Not to say there aren't some good things out there that they've been doing. Um, I even been to the Blizzard Beach the other day and noticed, really, there was quite a few different options and not just the bacon cheeseburger. Um, so, you know, there are, there are things that are happening throughout, but this is definitely uh, one of the best of the best. And it's exciting to see what what can what can come of that. So, yeah, I would. I would say that, I mean, I, I would have said previously, up until last month, what you mentioned, Sunshine Seasons in the Land Pavilion at Epcot, was my favorite counter service restaurant because of the variety of food you could get there. It's it's far surpassed by the Satui Canteen in, in Pandora now. I mean, that will be, even if I don't do a single attraction in Pandora the next time we visit, whenever it is, I would go there just to have a meal and then leave. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which which I've already done yeah. <laughs> um, and enjoyed, you know, just just, uh, you know, I have to feed Preston over at Restaurant Desaurus and then I come, <laughs> I come over to Pandora. Uh, but um, but so when you add uh, the Valley of Moada, two major attractions, some really unique shopping, a great food and beverage set of choices by the way there's also a little ice cream kiosk i noticed today so if you don't want to stand in line at um at uh pangu pangu over on the other side by right next to where they do the face painting did you notice they now sell um some uh ice cream bars but they're like one was coconut they're no very unique um they're very unique bars and there was no line for that you know, hmm. so a very easy way to get in and out if you wanted to cool off and get a beverage or something. But but all that said and done, the total package. Add to that, I got to tell you, you got to visit during the day to see the details. You got to come back at night to see it all aglow. And the best part between those two is right at dusk when it's all kind of changing over. Yeah. You hear the sounds uh, of, of Pandora. It, it, you just, it is a... It has truly complemented a full day experience at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Not to take anything away from already great e-ticket attractions, such as the Safari and Expedition Everest, um, and even Cayley River Rapids. Um, there are great things to see. I only wish the train could now go all the way around <laughs> Animal yeah. Kingdom, because there's a lot to hike through and see. As you go through your day there, but um, what else? What have we missed? I don't, I don't, I don't think I think it was anything. I think it's just a good overview, uh, so people can learn. So let's let's do this since we probably have only a couple minutes left. If I were to ask you, uh, and this is kind of on the spot, but based on the work you do, what are three? Uh, a lot of times we talk about these. We call these souvenirs. What are things you can take home to your business, to your workplace? So after visiting Pandora, again, half a dozen times or so, and again, lessons we can learn from only a week, what would you summarize as three takeaways, three souvenirs of what businesses could learn from Pandora to this point? So I think um, one is um, um, upgrade your per cap opportunity. For Disney, it's food and beverage. It's the souvenirs. Think bigger than what you've gone through. Think out of the box. Think new possibilities. That's that's one key message. The second key message is um, make sure that everything speaks to the message that you are trying to sell. Now, we talked about everything speaks in my books and in... Uh, in uh, in the uh, writings and podcasts we've done, this concept of everything speaks, I tell you, there isn't a better testament to it. And what is the message that it speaks? It speaks to conservation. That that higher message has elevated this land, I think, to a, a bigger place than even a Radiator Springs or a Fantasyland or a um, Sunset Boulevard, simply because there really is something substantive to take away from this. So uh, make sure you elevate your message and make sure everything speaks to that. 
elevated message. If I were to bring a third thing, and this comes back to what I had shared in the first podcast, I had said that, um, you know, Bob Iger has brought in Star Wars. He's brought in Marvel. He's brought in Pixar over the last several years. And, um, and so they haven't been afraid to bring into the family new stories, new intellectual products, properties, new, new creativity and innovation. But this one was different because they really truly outsource the IP and brought it and, and Disney outsources. Oh my gosh, this whole thing is a, from the seats to uh, that you sit on to to tapestries and totems that were created in some faraway village. There's a lot that's outsourced. Not you know there isn't a somebody with an imaginary tag making every little piece of this thing. A lot of it's outsourced. Mm-hmm. But but what is truly unique about this is that they have outsourced the the intellectual property and did it work? Uh yeah, it did. It did. I will be very surprised if within uh, the next two to three years, we don't hear of the, of the international parks bringing in Pandora into, hmm. into their attractions. I think that Hong Kong, while it's on an ambitious thing to add some things to its current park, I think they would do well to build a second park with with Star Wars, Pandora, and uh, Marvel as kind of a three. And I think Shanghai will do the same thing. I think we'll eventually see Pandora in Shanghai in a separate park. But I think I think that, uh, um, and I, I would welcome, there's still space in and around Pandora to do more things. I would love to see, I'm, I'm probably going off topic here, but I'd love to see the ropes course that they have for Shanghai Disney be oh, that evolved be into the same kind of, I don't know, maybe there's some Disney attorneys that throw a fit on that one, but, but, uh, and they get away with it internationally where they can't do it domestically. But I think that would be such a cool addition. And if it tied to some of the future films or some of the themes of the future films or flora fauna of the future films, all the more. To, to, to have that element mm. as well. So I think there's lots of possibilities moving forward. Uh, but those are the three messages, souvenirs I would take home on this. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that it's it definitely, and I, again, this is going to sound, uh, you know, like, like an apologist, but I think it definitely shows what Disney is capable of when they pull the right minds together. Uh, I was someone that always said that I was going to trust them to do the right thing with Pandora, but at the, at the beginning I didn't necessarily know it was the best purchase. And I think on the whole, they knocked it out of the park. Now, here's the caveat that I will add. Uh, I, I, I think when, when someone is positive about something, it is then assumed that they don't also understand uh, some potential criticisms. And I think there are some missteps here, but I think that if you let those missteps overtake your understanding of the experience right it's that whole experience that's important and what they've done on all of the different levels operationally design wise uh, i think they have absolutely nailed it here it makes me excited for what is to come with uh, star wars land in in a couple years and whatever uh potential updates they're going to make to to epcot and i think what it always what it shows in, in terms of a business lesson is don't be afraid to try something that you haven't done before, right? You know, whether it's uh, in the education field, an assignment or um, some new initiative for marketing or for sales or recruiting or something like that, that trying something you haven't done before uh, can end up working out extremely well. And I think with Pandora, you and I would both agree that it has. Yeah, absolutely. So we couldn't, we would go on for hours (laughs) to cover more details of Pandora. Here's what I recommend. Please, uh, at DisneyAtWork.com, you'll see on the left-hand side an opportunity to subscribe to Disney at Work and get a free a Pandora World of Avatar complete e-guide. you got to check out the e-guide. It's, it's uh, several dozen pages, uh, 
tons of photos, uh, tons of concepts and ideas about how to best enjoy that attraction. You definitely want to get that. It's also good because uh, in the next week or two, we will also be sending out a new e-guide that celebrates the first anniversary of Shanghai uh, Disneyland. And uh, in fact, probably one of our next podcasts, uh, next two or three or four podcasts, <laughs> will, but sometime in the next week or two, we will be uh, doing a podcast on the first anniversary of Shanghai Disney. And we've got an incredible um, exhaustive look at that park and how it became um, uh, so distinctly Disney, authentically Chinese. And uh, uh, it, it it's just uh, fantastic. We'll have more stuff like this. So there's great stuff we have for you. Please uh, subscribe to us. Um, and please, uh, if you like this podcast, give us a good rating. Share it with others. We need to hear from you. Love your feedback. Welcome a kind review. Uh, we are just uh, in our infancy with podcasts, but we are um, deep in Disney and lots of ideas and concepts and are excited to share those with you in the days and months to come. Anything else, David? No, I think that'll do it for us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us uh, again. One last time, please visit DisneyAtWork.com, both for that uh, free e-guide to Pandora, as well as for an opportunity to learn about all of our other podcasts by clicking on the podcast tab. And we hope that you will join us on our next episode. Thank you very much. <laughs>